Hello? Are we on the air? Welcome to the Beyond the Mind podcast, where we ask not what's in your head, but what your head is in. Prepare to be inspired. Inspired to change your environment, change your mindset, and ultimately change your life. Willpower doesn't work, people. If you truly want to move away from stress and anxiety, you have to start with your environment. With your environment. So let's go. Let's apply some positive change into your world. Happiness is loading. Is loading. Welcome to the Beyond the Mind podcast. Hello, podcast world. I am your host, Ian Highfield, and we are keeping the run going. Now, what run is that, you may ask yourself? Well, it's the run of having sensational guests on this show. Every time I do a podcast and I reflect, I'm like, yes, that is the podcast that is truly going to inspire people to create positive change. Yes, that is the podcast where the information I've heard can be practically applied into my world and I can make positive change. And reflecting on this conversation, it's absolutely no different. I am super excited to be able to bring you a guest that fell in love with the sport of soccer at a very, very, very young age and decided it was her goal and her dream to represent her country. Fast forward, she achieved this goal 26 times. Not only that, she actually represented her country at every single level possible. So what I wanted to know is, what does it take to do this? On a daily basis, as a young girl, what habits uh, do you form? And then as you grow and you go to the College of North Carolina and perform, and then you get to start representing your country at early age groups, then you become a professional soccer player, and then you run out in front of those bright floodlights and screaming fans and you listen to the national anthem. What does all that entail? How do you get there? Well, unfortunately for me, that's a question I will never be able to answer Um, But the guest on today's show, she absolutely can, and she can also give you some advice and guidance of what you can learn from her journey, practically apply it into your world so you can take steps towards your goals and your dreams. Let's go and check out the inspiring conversation I had with Yael Averbush West, capped 26 times for the USA. Hi, Yael. How are you? Good. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. I'm very uh, excited to have you on the show. Um, We've had coaches uh, of international teams um, and players for um, amateur golf teams, but we've never, ever had uh, a USA a capped soccer player on the show yet. So this is a first. I'm very excited. Uh, and I really want the listeners to be able to uh, engage in your journey and hopefully 
uh, they can pull out some information that they can, uh, they can practically apply into their life. Uh, so before we dive straight into that, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself on this podcast today going to be asked the questions about your, your soccer career? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, and actually now what I realized, like a really great uh, soccer hotbed, I had, you know, as a young player, when I first started, I had coaches from literally all around the world, um, which I kind of, I didn't realize how special that was. So pretty quickly into me just starting to play, my parents never played the sport or anything. They're lifelong athletes, but knew nothing about soccer. Um, I, I very quickly became obsessed. I loved it. I had really great coaches and mentors who showed me all of these things I could work on on my own. And it seems super exciting. So from a very young age, I had the goal of becoming a professional soccer player. I, have, I didn't really understand what that meant, but I remember, you know, saying it, I wrote it in my journal. And uh, fast forward, you know, a number of years, I went on to play college soccer at the University of North Carolina and followed that up with a 10-year professional playing career. Uh, so I got to live my childhood dream, which I'm very proud of. Um, and then from there, I had to actually step away from the game due to some health issues, but had for a number of years while playing, um, in part because, to be honest, the women's soccer salaries, you know, weren't enough for me to really make a living. I had started a number of things on the side, including uh, both being part of starting up the um, NWSL, the, the Women's Professional League's Players Association, as well as launching my own business as an active player called Techni Football. So fast forward to today, I'm still very involved in the sport and consider myself a player, but not playing professionally anymore at the moment. Awesome. How does the... Um... How does your love for coaching it compare to your, your love for playing it? You know, it's interesting. I don't consider myself a traditional coach. Um, you know, I've never really coached a team. And if you were to ask me what I do, I don't consider myself a soccer coach. Um, I still think of myself as a player. So really how I interact with other players, whether it's individually, small group, like in mentoring those players in terms of creating my business and the product that uh, remotely allows players to interact with my training sessions. Um, I view myself as kind of like a peer, uh, a mentor peer to these players. So uh, it's interesting to think of myself as a coach because I haven't really before, but essentially that's what I'm doing. Um, but I kind of like, I see it as, you know, just another a fellow player who has goals that they're aspiring to, who I can help out along their journey. So almost like kind of like a senior player uh, in, a, in a team that doesn't actually necessarily play for the team. You're more of a role model and a guide. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, t I'm technically not a player anymore, so I guess maybe my mindset does need to shift, but <laughs> that's kind of how I, like how I perceive my role is kind of like, you know, I'm at some point along my journey much later than most of the other players I work on, I work with are on theirs um, and that, you know, I'm helping them to hopefully learn some of the same lessons I learned along the way. And is your coaching, is it done in person? I know you do a ton online because we've spoken before about um, the efficacy of, of, of online soccer training and things that we can do to make it more transferable. But are you doing uh, coaching in person as well? So I used to do a lot of individual and small group work as well as some clinics or short kind of 
short little camp type experiences for players where I do a combination of on-field coaching as well as speaking to the players. And now everything I do is totally remote. So it's actually, um, we have a mobile app, which is the platform that Technique Football uh, took shape into. So there's a mobile app for players and then there's a management system and tracking system for coaches. So we actually work directly with players through um, creating training sessions that they use in the app and then work with teams and clubs to help them make individual training part of their culture. So really everything I'm doing is interacting remotely with players and other coaches in order to guide them in what they can do on their own. Awesome. So it's like a complement or, or an additional service to what they would already be doing. Exactly. Awesome. The, the reason I asked, um, I'm a big, big, we would say football back in England. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm a big sports fan, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I've watched a lot of Premier League football. And there was a player, uh, Gianfranco Zola. Um, and then there was also another player, Paolo De Canio. They both played for West Ham. Um, and at times, that once they'd retired, they went and they managed West Ham. Uh, and the players actually, for, for both times that these guys were coaching, complained that they were too good and they were knocking their confidence <laughs> of the other players because they funny. still had it, right? They still had the first touch. They still had the skills. Uh, and these two, these two guys were geniuses with the, uh, with the soccer ball. So I was leading up to if you were still on the pitch, I just wanted to know if you still got that amazing first touch that you show on some of your YouTube videos. <laughs> well, actually, um, so it's funny. I, I do still love to play and I play mostly, I joke that everyone else's off season is like my season. So I prepare for the off season and I actually play with a group of, um, of male, mostly male players who are, who are professional level players. And so, while I do still feel pretty proud of my touch and I feel good about myself as a player. That environment certainly keeps me very humble because I'm often, uh, we'll, we'll just say I get to play because I have the key to the indoor facility where we play. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it's, but it's like the best joy I can get out of playing. I absolutely love it more than anything. <laughs> for anyone listening to this, they should definitely, when we first connected, um, you, you heard me on a podcast and, and said you wanted to connect. Um, so I obviously YouTubed and Googled you and I remember, and I was like, oh my goodness, look at this first touch and these, some of those pings you were producing where you're hitting it against the wall. Um, it was pretty spectacular. So I would encourage anyone uh, listening to this to go and check out some videos of, of you playing for sure. Um, well, thank you. I want to, I want to actually, uh, go right back to the, to the start. Cause you said something very interesting that, that resonated with me. Um, you, you talked about, you fell in love with the game, uh, and then you decided you wanted to be a professional soccer player. You didn't know what it meant, but you wrote it down in your journal. Um, we've had a number of guests on that have recommended journaling and obviously myself included. I recommend it to a lot of the athletes that I work with. How old were you when you were writing down these goals and, and putting it in your journal that you wanted to be a, a professional soccer player? Yeah, so I was actually strangely young. And I had, it wasn't so much that I was really young. It was that I had just started playing the sport. So now when I look back, it doesn't quite make that much sense. You know, so I, I started playing when I was about seven years old. And by the time I was maybe nine or 10, I had already... I have these old journal pages where I had written in all big capital letters, I want to be a professional soccer player when I grow up. And I was watching these uh, VHS tapes of, you know, the U S women's national team at the time. And 
and my dad and I, you know, it was hard to everywhere else in the world would find this funny, but it was hard to find games on TV. Whereas, you know, everywhere else, that's the only sport that's on TV here. We had to order some crazy uh, cable subscription to get some Italian games and, and be able to watch the sport and learn more about it. So uh, I was very young and I had this very clear goal, but I think what I've realized is that there's like kind of two stages to setting a clear goal is one is stating it whether it's internally or I think it obviously adds power when you write it down or when you verbalize it and tell it to somebody else because then you're being held accountable. So there's that, but then there's the second part of it, which is then realizing what that looks like. So it's easy to say, I think a lot of kids would say they want to be a professional athlete, but then the second stage there is, okay, what does that actually look like and what does it take? So I embarked on that process really early. I said I wanted to be it. And then I followed it up without realizing what I was doing without with a good amount of research to actually see like, what does that mean? And what will I need to do to actually achieve it? And, and how, so how old were you when you write this in your journal and you start to actually research it? So, I mean, I think I was around nine or 10 when I wrote it in my wow. journal, but I can remember by the time I was 11 or 12, I was pretty seriously um, doing a decent amount of work on my own. I was learning to, to juggle, d- doing various ball mastery type things. I was spending time. I got a couple individual coaches that my parents helped me find who would spend a lot of time with me, um, showing me the types of things I could be working on. And this is why I feel really fortunate. I had some great coaches and mentors. You know, I had a, a early coach who, and I told I told him this was my goal. He said, oh, well, can you do this or can you do this? And he took me out with a bag of balls and worked on striking the ball and different things that just basically opening opening my eyes to the vast amount of work that would need to be done. Um, So, yeah, within a couple of years of me starting playing the sport, I really was already set off on this path of having watched a decent amount and looking for ways to watch and also seeking out experts to help show me the kinds of things I would need to learn. That's amazing. To, to do that so young is just, it's, it's almost, almost unbelievable. I actually, you know, when you start talking about it, I get goosebumps listening to you a little bit. I was, um, I was kind of on the opposite side of that. Uh, I got pretty good um, at rugby very young. Uh, probably because my dad was a rugby coach and I got to watch a lot of it and I was in that environment. But I never, ever took myself away and did that extra uh, personal training on my own. Um, I was always good with the team. I was always committed. I was always committed during matches. But I never, ever understood the power of going away and almost having that growth mindset where you believe you, you, you can do something even if you can't do it right now. What, what really motivated you to do that was it the end goal of you know I want to play for the USA so I'm going to get good at this or was it just the fact that you loved it so much you know it's interesting I try to think back now and and decipher that I think a big part of it by the way I will have to point out was that my parents really because they didn't know anything about the sport itself but because they were lifelong athletes and they both happen to be long distance runners uh, as their primary sport which takes an enormous amount of discipline and it's obviously an individual pursuit so the norm in our household which I didn't realize was very abnormal actually was that they they did their running or their workout every single day like before i woke up to go to school they had already done their run showered they had made breakfast and that was 
Like there was no day I ever woke up as a kid where they had an excuse or they didn't do it. If it was snowing or whatever, they'd be jumping rope in the house. And so to me, it was like a given that you, whatever you're doing, you, you chip away at it every day and you're working on it every day. So I kind of had almost the opposite experience to what you were describing in the sense that I didn't really have a group environment or an existing understanding of the sport. My relationship with the sport started as like, okay, well, if you're a soccer player, you do your soccer every day. So I think that I, I started with that, just like what I thought was taken for granted, that was normal, which now I look, look and I think that's not normal. That's something that people spend years and years developing and have trouble, you know, creating that type of discipline. But that in my household was the norm. And then I think, you know, part of it is certainly my personality. Um, I did really enjoy it and I thought it was fun and I thought it was fun to be good at something. But at the end of the day, you know, I have a little bit of an obsessive personality. So if someone showed me something where you could count a score, like juggling, or showed me a, a skill that I felt incompetent at and said, okay, we'll work on this. And next time I see you, we'll do it again. Well, I was not going to come back unless I could do 10 juggles <laughs> or unless I had mastered the skill. And I literally can remember from almost my first ever time working with an individual coach. I know that I know in my head the things that we worked on and they showed me because I I have some kind of like weird photographic or obsessive memory to then go back and work on them. So I can literally remember like the first ever session I did alone with a coach and the ball and the things we did and, and going home and practicing them again and again. So when I saw the coach next, there was no way I was still not going to be able to do that. <laughs> do you, and do you find, did you find fulfillment in the outcome of yes, I'm able to do it or was it really this process? I mean, to be so young and, just to be focused and motivated on achievement and then practice and achievement. When you reflect back now, um, did it, did it give you a certain level of fulfillment that every day you were taking tiny steps towards this, this big goal? Oh yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I think that for me, it's like, it was almost like an addictive feeling. And, and like I said, this is my personality. So I really believe if I had started doing violin or Taekwondo or whatever it was, I would have probably experienced the process very similarly. Um, and I, I think that I do like to have the success and that's obviously a huge part of why we work on things on our own to improve and it's to, to feel uh, competent and to feel dominant when you play, but, but for me to feel myself getting better or mastering certain skills was like this addictive feeling. And I also realized about my personality that I'm very okay to do things a lot of times without success in order to have the one moment where it clicks, like to an extreme level. And I think this is just something natural about me because I actually asked my sister once, I was curious. I realized this about myself when I was, um, I was playing chess with my husband. I started playing chess like kind of recently and he's pretty good. Um, and I realized that I could still enjoy playing probably like a thousand times and never win just because of the chance of the one time I might win. Yeah. Um, and I realized like, I asked my sister, I said, how many times do you think you could play chess and lose before you start to lose interest? And she was like, I don't know, maybe 10. And so then I realized, <laughs> I think like something is certainly off in my balance of feeling like my the good feeling I get is not from necessarily from winning or for ha from having that uh, result of success, but some, some part of the striving of it for me is really fulfilling. And so I think that's definitely the same thing I've experienced over the years is I can, I have this 
strange aptitude to want to just do things over and over and over. And I can't stop until I feel some aspect of it clicking, which may be like the smallest little thing coming together that still feels rewarding for me. Wow. Um, I'm huge into the power of the environment. When we have that question, you know, nature um, versus nurture, um, I, I tend to lean quite radically in some people's eyes to the nurture side of things. Um, I think that's because of the romance of it as well. I, I do believe that when people who are five foot five have played in the NBA and everyone would tell them that there's no chance that we, we as coaches, we have the, we have the responsibility to put a message out there. Not that anything is possible, but that if you put your mind to it and you work hard and you do the right things that you will get closer to your goals and dreams. And, and if you don't quit, and, and develop this um, ability to deal with adversity, eventually you can get there. And I believe the environment is the biggest, biggest influencer in that. So obviously your parents created this environment where I think you said something like it was just normal to just go and do it. So they were long distance running and it was just normal that they would have achieved something probably before most parents were, were even out of bed. So that obviously had a huge impact on you. I, I just wanted to ask, what, what does your sister do? Does, did she play soccer? Did she play any other sports? How, how do you think that environment either impacted her in the same way or maybe even in it, it could have potentially pushed her a different way? Yeah, I actually talked to her about this pretty often because we were certainly raised, you know, in talking about the environment, we were certainly raised to have that mindset that you just described is that if you... Uh, set your mind to it. And if you are focused on a goal, you can, I mean, if it doesn't work out exactly as you planned, you'll certainly get as close as you possibly could to achieving it. So we always kind of had in our, in our psyche that, you know, you can do what you want to do as long as it's, you have kind of figured out, you, you make the goal, you figure out what it takes to get there and you do those things every single day. There's no reason that you should, you know, just inherently fall short of it. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's a pretty, uh, that, that was guided to by our parent, our parents' extreme enthusiasm for our, our abilities and their support along the way and telling us we were great at whatever we did and we could do anything, which is uh, greatly appreciated. And, and I know that not everybody, you know, has that type of support growing up. But my sister did play soccer for many years. She played college soccer at Stanford University. So very successful youth wow. national team level player. She ended up not, um, not, you know, deciding to pursue that further. And, um, you know, now she, she works like in the quote unquote normal world, but certainly also has a mindset of, you know, whatever it is she wants to do, she feels that it's in her control to achieve it or to make it, make her vision come to life. And we actually often talk about how in some ways there are things out of our control. And so we've learned this misleading mindset that can be detrimental for the things that we actually can't control and can't make happen according to our way of doing things. But I think in the larger sense, we both feel that the way we were raised is, a, is an enormous gift in terms of um, giving us the confidence to wholeheartedly pursue things and actually believe that we can do it. Like I, um, this is a, a funny little side note that you might find interesting. I actually, in stepping away from playing professionally, um, I was seeing a therapist for a while and I probably actually should, should go back to him. But uh, one thing he was talking about was the difference between um, aspirations and expectations. So that most people have really have this 
aspiration, maybe they want to be a professional athlete, but their actual expectation is like, maybe I'll be a division one college athlete. And I could not for the life of me wrap my head around what he was talking about, because to me, <laughs> you, why would you ever have an aspiration if your expectation wasn't that you would achieve it? Like to me, there's no difference between the two. So we actually kind of got in this argument because my sister and I were raised to think like whatever your aspiration is, you should expect to do it. Um, which is not normal across all people. And that's not always to a health, depending on the situation, not always a healthy mindset, but I could not understand what he was saying, why there would be this gap between the two. And I, and I think the most powerful thing listening, listening to you talk is your parents are saying this, they're communicating it in words, but then they're not going and lying on the sofa, watching Netflix and eating a cheeseburger. They're actually also doing it. So you're, they're backing up what they're verbalizing with their training, with their running, with their daily habits. It's a very powerful source of um, what I would call transformational leadership. Um, and again, you know, with this podcast, I'm not trying to just have words. If, I'm, if I have someone on about fitness, then I'm going to go and try and do a fitness challenge or get fitter. I had someone on talk about the morning routine. Um, that was six days ago. I've failed once, but five other days I've had good solid morning routines. So I think it sounds to me like your parents embodied the behaviors that they expected or tried to nurture from you. Is that correct? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And they actually weren't really, um, I, I believe that they weren't saying things to my sister and I about this in order to teach us or guide us. I think they were literally speaking from what they viewed to be the truth. Yeah. Um, Even so more they powerful. were, yeah, they, this was presented to us in our whole youth growing up as like, this is the way to approach something. It wasn't like, okay, we're going to teach you. If you have a goal, here's what you do. It was like, this is, this is normal. I, I honestly didn't realize how abnormal it was until I became an adult and talked to other people who were not raised the same way. And I was kind of like, whoa, I, I see now wow. how I became the way I am. But it wasn't presented as teaching or lessons. Like, um, you know, the things they, they talked to us about over the years were more of like a life lesson type thing. But for the yeah. most part, it was like, it was just taken for granted that, well, obviously, if you say you want to do this, okay, well, you, then you can. But you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. And that was based on their personal experience. It wasn't like something for us. This was just how somebody goes about it. It's amazing. So on, on this journey, at some point, you're going to kind of move, shift away from the home environment and you go to college. Uh, and then that's a big environmental change. And then obviously there's professional um, league soccer. Uh, and then comes that, first cap for the USA. Now, I really want to talk about that moment. But prior to that, can you tell us a bit about college career? Can you tell us a little bit about the signing for a professional team and how, how all of that played out? Because right now, it, it, it almost sounds like kind of simple, like you picked up this amazing mindset as a child. You loved what you did. You worked super hard. You had individual coaching. You went and worked on your own. And then, boom, there you go. You played 26 times for the USA. But I'm going to assume that it wasn't quite as smooth as that. So can you just tell us a little bit about 
the other environments that you were exposed to throughout college and your professional career on the way to that first cap? Yeah, surely. And I do, I do want to point out that this is important because it really is like was visible to me through my whole youth experience as well as college. And then starting my professional career is that I think a couple things um, made what I actually experienced not feel as smooth and easy, as simple as like what it sounds when I were to read my resume or give a quick overview. And one is that, you know, I cared so deeply about what I was doing and, and to the, to up until now, to the point where I'm really sensitive about it. So disappointments, if a coach didn't value my style of play or think I was good or all of that, like really, really um, hit me very hard. So I was, uh, I didn't have a a smooth ride by any means. You know, there was always going to be somebody who didn't quite, you know, somebody who doubted me or somebody who didn't pick me for the team or something like that. And those things weren't just like normal disappointments. For me, it was like earth shattering. Do you have a specific Um, example of that? uh, I mean, there were many over this. I was not always. So part of the other piece of this is that I um, really spent a lot of time far outside my comfort zone. Uh, my entire career. I, I play. I was the only girl on an all-boys team. I played up age groups. I played in environments where I was certainly not the best player. So actually, for the majority of my playing career, I felt like I was not even close to being one of the better players on the field. So I actually never felt like, ah, oh, okay, I'm so good. I made it. This is great. Uh, and I... I remember um, there was one period of time. So when it was the only girl on an all boys team, it was a really, really difficult time. And I, I very much learned to play using skill and tactics and things and like not the physical side of the game. And so when I went back to playing with girls, it was actually really difficult because I didn't wow. use any of the physical part of the game. And I, all the things you would think might happen, like, oh, I'd be more aggressive or any of that. I actually was quite the opposite. I would never use physical contact because that, that wasn't the way I was going to succeed when I played with boys. So. Um, in my early teenage years, when I, you know, I was well on my way to working really hard and, and going towards this goal, I had a coach at one point tell me that, just say, you know, you know, you're not athletic enough to play at the highest level. And so I, I mean, I cried and cried and I, he didn't even say in any way like, oh, you can, you need to go improve this. It was just like, it's not going to happen for you kind of thing. And so I mean, I look back now and it was, it ended up being motivating and I decided I was going to prove him wrong and all this. But at the time, I mean, things like that weren't just like, oh, this is the coach's opinion. That was like, he had just taken my whole world and like everything I cared about and just thrown it out the window. So um, I had a lot of moments and, you know, I I went and I played college soccer. I played, I had a wonderful experience, but I went and purposely played in a, for a program in an environment that didn't quite suit my style of play. So again, I was outside my comfort zone and I never, I never felt comfortable one day that I was there. And, and that's the, you know, UNC women's soccer is known for that. So you're never going to feel comfortable. It's always hyper competitive. Um, the best players, some of the best players in the world, literally. So again, I was, you know, constantly pushing and competing and, and trying to be better than I was. And then actually in, in the beginning of my professional career, I had a really rough start to the beginning of my professional career. You know, on one hand, I was super, um, I I was really proud to have achieved my childhood dream. I was a professional player, but my first season um, as a rookie, we had a really, really tough coach uh, and ended up having three or four different coaches throughout the season. A lot of players on the team, including myself, struggled with confidence. Uh, I, I was really excited for 
our home opener, my first ever professional game. And I didn't play one minute in the game. So I, I went home sobbing and crying. And so, you know, now, now it's sounding all negative and bad, but really what I wanted to point out is that whereas like you can look and on paper it all, I checked all these boxes and did all these things. I, I, um, I had many disappointments along the way and many times when I had to pick myself back up from tears and, and anger and frustration and get back out there and, and continue to get better. And I actually, um, you know, I still have goals in the game that I never achieved, uh, that I, that I had written down that I was really, really set on into the last day I was playing professionally. I felt this angst of have felt it feeling like I still wanted to do more than I was able to do. Yeah, I, I think you might have even mentioned them to me in, in previous conversations um, that we've had. Uh, but I, I just, I, I feel that there's so many messages in here. Um, a lot of athletes that I coach, they go to practice and they want to be comfortable. They want to perform well in practice so they can almost get this confidence. But I kind of see it these days is false confidence because if every day you're, you're out of your comfort zone and you're learning to deal with adversity in college, that probably set you up to get through that first year or those first few games as with, with disappointment as a professional footballer. I think if you do four years at college and you're super comfortable and you're the star of the show and everything comes to you pretty easily and then you have that experience that you have that can potentially end end careers. Um, I see that in golf a lot. People can't make the adjustment from amateur to professional because they've spent a lot of time being comfortable, not getting comfortable being uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you know what I kind of think, I actually think I kind of overdid the balance the other way. Like I was, there's probably a, a perfect percentage of, being in, in the environment where you are comfortable and you're thriving and you know, you're the, the go-to player, you feel dominant. And then the opposite where you're, you know, in above your head a little bit, you're having to figure things out. And I certainly look back and if there was one thing I could change, which I wouldn't change any of the way I did it because I did the best I could as I went. But if there's one thing I could change, I would probably tip the balance slightly back towards a few more environments where I had the comfort to feel confident and really kind of, play within that range of, you know, being able to try things and make mistakes in a way that I, you know, in, in the environments where I was really out of my comfort zone, I couldn't do. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, potentially by being, as you say, in over your head all the time, there's possibility of burnout or career ending slightly earlier from physical, mental exhaustion, however you, however you want to put it. So I think when we talk about the power of the environment it's you're right it always has to be optimal but whoever knows what that is right who who yeah. could be that one player that's ever been exposed to all those environments I'm sure every single player that that I would talk to or you would talk to will, or would always have something they would change or or potential um, unanswered questions about that um, for sure I Okay, this is probably the biggest question. And look, the, the, some of the stuff you've said, it just it gives me goosebumps thinking about this real young girl just doing all these amazing, creating these amazing habits so early. Um, and it's really all geared towards one moment, right? You want to play for the USA. So 
I've never got international honors. I'm 38 years old. The likelihood of me getting international honors at anything is 0.0001. So maybe less than that. So I want to know when you walk out onto that stadium under those lights and you've dedicated so much of your time and energy, what's it like when you walk out onto the field and then you hear the national anthem? Can you, can you even explain it? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I purposely, when I, I was on the, a trip with the national team, I thought I might get my first cap. You know, we were at a little tournament and, you know, I didn't play the first game, but I knew any one of those games I might go, go on. And I remember thinking like, I, I don't, I didn't listen to music or anything before the games and the bus ride. Cause I wanted to remember like every, every single detail about it. But, but I think I was so nervous. I actually, I actually <laughs> couldn't. So, so my memory is a little bit uh, vague here, but I certainly know I had a couple um, a couple thoughts. And one was that I actually think that some of what you were describing was a little bit detrimental in my mindset because, because I had put so much into this and I cared so much, there was almost too much riding on those big moments for me. And I look back now and I could admit that, but along the way, I never would have been able to say that to myself. But I think I had too much pressure on those those important moments and I built it up to be something so big. And so, I mean, it's totally normal to be incredibly nervous in that situation. So I was, I, I subbed into the game and I honestly, I think I couldn't even breathe or feel my legs. You know, that feeling when you're so, you're like getting flooded with the nerves so much that it's actually physically detrimental. It was one of those. Um, and then obviously I, I eased into it and I, the, the more I played, it just becomes a normal game. But for me, I think a lot of times when I had the, my, my moment or I, I was starting for the first time with the national team or got invited to my first camp is that I um, there was so much riding on it just because the body of work I'd put in and how for how long it had been my goal that I think that actually hurt me a little bit mentally if I'm to look back if, again if, if I'm being really critical of my process and there was something I could change I wish I could have just played and let it be a little bit more of a normal situation rather than building it up but at the same time you want to like honor the the gravity of the moment and how massive it is so I didn't want to take it for granted at all either so it's a it's an interesting balance and I certainly didn't take any of those moments for granted I was always um, if anything did the opposite. <laughs> what about when you weren't playing in the national team and you got that is it like a phone call you would get or an email or how can you remember that moment when someone connected and contacted you and said, Hey, we, we've got some good news. H how was that delivered? Yeah. So it's interesting. There were a few of these moments over time. Actually the first ever time I don't remember uh, how I kind of got the call up, so to speak. <laughs> um, and I was actually in college when I, when I got my first cap. So I was a little bit more carefree than, when it was a little bit later on in my career. But interestingly enough, throughout my time with the national team um, and th through those 26 caps, more than once I was kind of not invited into things. Or I wouldn't say cut, but kind of like essentially because it's an ongoing tryout, I never was like in quote unquote and solidified my spot. I was always kind of, okay, I'm invited now, got a couple caps and then up for a while, you know, I wasn't invited in and somebody else was in favor and then I would get called up again. So there was, uh, there were a number of those moments where I would kind of get the call up um, and I hadn't been going to camps or hadn't been involved. And I think um, for me each time, I mean, it's, it's the ultimate reward. It's literally uh, as you said, it's what I dreamed of every single day that I was training and still to the last day I played as a professional. Every moment I spent training was with the intention of 
that happening. So, you know, there's not quite a feel, a way to describe the feeling of when you are doing everything, when every fiber of your being is going towards one goal to feel the fulfillment of that, even in the smallest way, like allowing you to come in to, to training camp to then do fitness or whatever it is you have to do there. Um, it, even it's just such, such an amazing um, honor and kind of affirmation of everything you're working towards. Awesome. And change, change your tact slightly. What, what was it like being involved in female soccer as it's really sort of grown? I'm, you know, I, I watched uh, a lot of the female world cup. Um, the last one gone, which USA basically, uh, dominated England did England. I thought did okay. Um, but it's growing and growing and growing. And I think college soccer, female soccer is also uh, on the rise. Um, and you were probably, you said actually when you first kind of fell in love with the game, it was very hard for you to, to access it. Um, we live in a, a different world now, which has probably contributed to the emergence of uh, female soccer. What, what was your experience, I guess, really being in a male dominated sport where they're very, very highly paid and, you know, heroes, um, especially premier league footballers or Syria, um, the, these guys, Ronaldo, Messi, you know, these guys are some of the biggest, uh, celebrities now on, on the planet. What was it like being in this male dominated sport? Um, did, how did that impact your, your mindset? How did that impact your, your career? Do you think? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because I grew up, uh, watching the men's game so much that that's what I thought was the norm. That was kind of where I set my standards. So in some ways I always felt like I was striving for something that wasn't even possible within my world. Uh, whether it was the big stadiums with, you know, packed out crowds or just the, the level of play, the type of, um, lifestyle that those players had. But at the same time, you know, it always felt really exciting and quote unquote big time um, within the women's game for what I was doing. Like when I became a professional player and we had our first, you know, home opener and you get to walk out and hear the national anthem and all of that um, felt really special to me always. Because the other piece of this, I think, is that, you know, I love playing the game, whether it's like pickup and no one's watching or a big game in a stadium, to me, it was all kind of the same reward for the training I put in. But certainly looking back and seeing how the women's game has grown now and back to when, you know, I started my professional career and just seeing that the caliber of the international leagues that are and the opportunities available for female players and the type of money you can make on some teams compared to when I was starting my professional career, as well as, you know, where than our national team has progressed to since the time when I was first watching them, you know, it's really yeah. astounding, but I don't, I never felt at the time that there was this, you know, huge discrepancy for me. I was, I was getting to play professional soccer against some of the best players in the world and the quality always felt really good and, and the experience felt professional. So, well, yeah, sometimes, you know, the facilities, were lacking or I wish I was making more money or things like that. I was never quite focused on those things. However, I look back now and I kind of realize what it could be that it wasn't. And um, hopefully the women's game is moving in that direction. What, what do you think is lies ahead in the future for, um, for the, for the female game? Uh, I, I, I'm interested 
in this subject because I've been doing a lot of reading about businesses on the stock market when they first launch. They're more successful with um, female CEOs. Uh, I think the during this crisis, uh, the global pandemic, I think one of the leaders that came out with the most credibility was the female prime minister of New Zealand. Um, I've seen that there is a female coach uh, in the NFL um, coaching a men's team. Do you think the possibilities here are, are endless as we're starting to realize that um, that females have great leadership qualities, debatably more so than a majority of males and that the game is, is on the rise and there is more uh, skill and, and talent than maybe the females were given credit for in the past. Where do you think it can potentially go? Could you see, because th there are males coaching in the female game, but it's not really transferring over. Um, wh where do you think it could go? It's, it's a very interesting subject for me, this one. Yeah, you know, there's still a great deal of sexism involved uh, in the sport, and even in ways that people don't realize. It's not always overt. It's just like subtle things in terms of how people view women's sports in general. But I think really the where it needs to go and where it hopefully will eventually go is, you know, right now, uh, women's soccer, women's football worldwide is run by men. Um, you know, the decisions are made by men at FIFA, men own the teams and run the leagues and it's male dominated. And I think that when we see the day when the teams are owned by women, are coached by women, there are women GMs. Yeah, there'll still be some men involved, just like there'll be hopefully some women in the men's game. But, you know, when it's all being run by men, the, the sport is being um, directed according to men's visions and men's standards. And I think that. Um, when that shifts and the women are the one creating it and creating the marketing concepts and filling the stadiums and investing in it themselves, it will greatly shift, um, you know, how the sport is viewed. And it's everything from, I mean, who's being marketed to is that quite often women's soccer is viewed as like, Oh, it's for young girls. Well, no, why is it not for, you know, if there's a game near a college campus, why is it not for college students to come out and watch men and women or you know we see that portland thorns has done a great job in the u.s is they have a great community of young adults who come out and they drink beer and they enjoy the game and they're yeah. great they have a wonderful fan culture so it doesn't need to be for just 12 year old girls who dream of playing pro it could be for everybody to watch as entertainment and to support their team and i think so there needs to be a, a huge shift in terms of the culture of how it's viewed which we're certainly going that direction but you know that's where i see it eventually going but, and look, and that's a great answer because I cannot answer that question. That's why I ask it. I have no opinion because I've not been there. And, and you know, you, you've been there. You've been on this amazing journey from such a young age where you've achieved so much. Um, you've made that transition uh, into, I guess, the, the coaching slash business side now. Um, so I think you're, you're very well suited to, to answer that question. And you know, hopefully I'm going to look out for, for those changes. I, I, I hope that that does start to happen and, and then potentially maybe even more avenues and more doors will open for, for, for people like yourself. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's definitely the route we're going. So I appreciate it. And that's, that's my dream as well for the sport. Awesome. So we've, re we've really gone from 
that the, the whole journey we've gone from you as a, as a, as a young girl writing in your, your journal and being super focused all the way through college to uh, playing for the USA, getting 26 caps. And now uh, hopefully what we see for the future of, of female soccer. So just before we wrap up, I love this podcast to be actionable. Um, if it remains just words, just me and you talking and people listening and, and they enjoy it, you know, that's fine. But what positive change do we actually create? I'm a, I'm a big believer that willpower doesn't necessarily work. You have to make changes to your environment. Your environment around you has to influence you. So for the people that are listening, if, you, if they have a goal that they're chasing, if they want positive change in their life, if they want to just be more happy, more fulfilled, um, what, what piece of advice would you give something that, that people can action? And it could be something you did on your journey or something maybe that you didn't that you wish you did. You know, I think you said something that really uh, struck me in there that I like a lot is that, you know, will, if, you, if you leave it up to willpower, um, I think you're already setting yourself up for failure. And that's what we see it when people try to, you know, go on a really restrictive diet or set out to do something really ambitious, like train three hours a day, every day of the year, something like that. And I've always believed that if you have a goal and you can break it down to a manageable daily process that you enjoy, um, that's where you'll find success. So finding that daily routine that feels manageable, that feels enjoyable. And it's almost like so simple that you can't not do it. And that's kind of the philosophy I've lived by uh, is that looking back at five years of a body of work of doing something for 15 minutes a day is really powerful. But if you set out in whatever time that adds up to, I don't even know, I can't do the math right now. But if you start out to think like, oh, I'm going to accomplish all that time working on it in a couple months, you're going to, you know, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to hit a day when you can't do it. It's going to be unenjoyable. You're going to be forcing yourself. You're going to burn out. And so that's where I think um, the true joy in the process comes is like picking the right amount to do and doing it consistently. So I would urge anyone listening with a goal, whether it's, um, yeah, even if it's, you know, I had the goal of learning to relax and be comfortable when I stopped playing, I had trouble with it. And I literally would try to, I would schedule myself time every day. Uh, and I picked like simple daily things to do, uh, whether it was getting a treat of a nice coffee with whipped cream or whatever it was, little things each day. So I think um, make yourself the daily routine that seems like so easy that you probably could do more, but you don't need to because you're going to do it every single day, maybe even for the rest of your life. I love it. I, I think that's excellent advice. Um, and just before you go, any, any books or, or movies or videos or motivational talks that have really had an impact on you that you may want to share with people that are, that are listening? Ooh, there's been a lot of them. Um, and it's funny, I'm not actually a huge reader, but the books I've read that have really impacted me have really impacted me. And I love, um, I love the book. There's a book called Mastery by George Leonard. It might have a sub, it might have like a secondary title to yeah. mastery. It might be mastery, something else. And it's by George Leonard. Um, and for me, that was one of the first things I read that like described the process that I was living so well and so manageably. And so I think that like in everything we do, whether it's, you know, wanting to be a good, good person with your family, wanting to be happier, more relaxed, less relaxed and more ambitious, whatever it is. Um, 
what you're going for is not just a short-term habit. You're going to actually like try to attain mastery over that way of being. And so reading books and listening to things about the process of mastery has always been really inspiring to me. And that book in particular, I think was, was a great starting point to understand that process. Awesome. I'll, I'll check that one out. And then I actually have one for you. Um, if great. that's okay. Yeah, uh, please. What made Maddie run? I'm writing I, it down. Yeah. I, even if you're not a reader, this book had such a profound impact on me. I mention it to basically everyone that, that I get on the podcast. Um, she was uh, a female... Uh, the lady who wrote it, Kate Fagan, was a collegiate level basketballer. Um, and ultimately, Maddie was um, on Instagram. She had this perfect life. She was an Ivy League student. She was an athlete. Um, but it's a very tragic story about how... Yeah, actually, I, I know who that is now that you're saying it. Um, okay. Yeah. No, I'm definitely... I wrote this down. I'm definitely going to read it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to reach out to Kate Fagan a couple of times more. I'm kind of stalking her to try and get her on the podcast. And I think the fact that you've come on might help me. So if I do get her on the podcast, I'll send you a thank you card. I appreciate Um, it. And I'll be sure to to listen to her as well when she comes on. Yeah, this book is just phenomenal. It's so good for parents to read um, that are going to have their children go to, to college. And it's so great for coaches to read because it just helps you see the human being. Cause you know, at the end of the day, when you started this journey and you're writing in that journal and you've got this crazy motivation really at your core, you're just an 11 year old girl. You know, you just, when you think about that, it's, it, we sometimes forget that these are small human beings with so many more emotional needs, um, so much more psychology going on than we can ever see with, with our eye. We just don't know what's going on in, inside people's minds. And, you know, your journey has, has obviously been a, a successful one, but there, there are so many huge mental challenges on the way that I think sometimes parents and coaches don't resonate with. Uh, and this book is a, is a game changer for, for helping with that. So uh, I hope you enjoy it and uh, recommend it to as many other people as you possibly can. Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate the recommendation. I look forward to checking it out. It's been amazing having you on. Uh, I really appreciate your time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. Um, but thanks a lot for, for sharing your journey. So many uh, inspirational messages in there for people that want to uh, create positive change. Uh, and take steps towards their goals and dreams. I, I, I think you're an inspiration to, to everyone, and I hope people really enjoy uh, engaging with this podcast. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation. Okay, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. You've just taken a step forward to making a positive change in your life. That's right. You're one step closer to leaving frustration, stress, and anxiety behind. This was the Beyond the Mind podcast. Let's apply some positive change into your world. Into your world.